Well, if you're going to get your GED in the Christian faith, you're going to have to answer some big questions. And today we're answering a big question. Are some people better than others? And this is really a hard question for a lot of Christians because opinions are all over the map. So are some people good? Are some people bad? What's the story? <clears throat> Misty Bernal wrote a book about her daughter, Cassie. Cassie Bernal was one of the high school kids shot uh, to death at the Columbine High School shooting. And uh, she was the one who some reports have said uh, the shooter asked her, do you believe in God? And she said yes, and he shot her dead. Cassie's life story was a very uh, surprising story for many people when they heard about that. Because Misty Bernal came into her bedroom when Cassie was a freshman in high school and found a stash of letters. I came across a stack of letters that froze me in my tracks. A letter addressed to Cassie with several lines of unprintable talk and ninth grade gossip and went on to discuss a teacher at the high school. You want to help me murder her? The letter ended with a reminder about a neat spell, some drawings of knives, vampire teeth, and a caricature of the teacher lying dead, stabbed. Cassie had told one of her friends that she had given her life to the devil in a satanic ritual. Anyway, Misty goes on to say, there was talk in these letters about self-mutilation and the adventures of a classmate whose girlfriend went to a satanic church. And another letter depicted killing Pa and Ma Bernal, you know, us, uh, the parents, Misty and Brad. And so... Cassie was a very, very troubled freshman in high school. Very troubled. And what are the parents supposed to do? Well, one of the very interesting things that they did, which really worked, is they basically pulled her out of school. This was close to Christmas break. They pulled her out of school, and they took away from her absolutely all access to everybody she had known. Uh, the only place she was allowed to go was to church, youth group functions, uh, they took her out of the public school at Christmas, and she never went back uh, to that particular school. Uh, they put her in a Christian school, and the Christian school was given orders, do not let her leave because she will try to sneak out. Uh, they took away her phone privileges. As a matter of fact, they tapped the phone, so anytime she called anyone, they would know exactly what was said. Um, she wasn't allowed to go anywhere, see anyone, have any contact with her former friends. And this went on for some period of time. She screamed like a addict who was taken away from drugs. She was like in withdrawals. And she hated her parents with everything in her. And eventually, she started to realize that she had been wrong about some things. She went to a Christian camp, rededicated her life to Christ. She got back in the car after camp and said, Mom, I'm changed. I know that you won't believe me, but I'll show you. And she really had. Uh, that was two years before she died in the shooting Cassie left a diary about what she was thinking in those days. And so she was clearly not a good girl. And you can tell that she was not well on the inside. She says, maybe it was my way of expressing my sadness, anger, and depression. I locked myself in the bathroom and hit my head on the counters. I also did this on the walls of my bedroom. Thoughts of suicide obsessed me for days, but I was too frightened to actually do it. So I compromised by scratching my hands and wrists with a sharp metal file until I bled. It only hurt for the first couple minutes, and then I went numb. And afterward, it stung very badly, which I thought I deserved, and I still have the scars. 
And so she was very troubled on the inside. And because she was troubled on the inside, these things happen on the outside. And that raises a question of what are good people? Like what would have happened if Cassie had never had contact with certain of those people? Then would she have been a better person? And so that's what we're looking at today. And Christians have all kinds of ideas. None of these ideas that I have listed for you up here on this slide are very good. One idea kind of comes from the hardline uh, determinists, you know, the hardline Calvinists who say we are all nothing more than miserable sinners. That is a half truth. We are all miserable sinners, but we are not just that. When he says we are nothing more than miserable sinners, the Lord has done work in our heart and we are not just miserable sinners anymore. That's a half truth. And it's not very helpful, as you'll see in a minute. On the right-hand side, you have the opposite. This is like the Rousseau, uh, Romanticism era thinking that there's no such thing as a bad person, only bad choices. And we hear this all the time in the world of psychotherapy and even in Christian circles, uh, self-help circles. Uh, There's no such thing as a bad person, only bad choices. Uh, We're going to see in a minute that the Bible definitely says there are such things as bad people. Uh, Across the middle there, no one's better than anyone else. Everyone has secrets. Once again, a half-truth. That's true. Uh, Everybody, I'm sure, does have secrets. But it is not true to say no one is better than anyone else, which we'll see in just a moment. On the left bottom corner... What's good in your opinion might be bad in someone else's opinion. And so this is the postmodern idea, the moral relativism idea. That listen, you have your ideas about what's good and somebody else has a different idea. And they don't match and that's okay because there's really no such thing as truly good and truly bad. It's just your opinion. And that's not very good, is it? On the right-hand bottom corner, people are neither good nor bad. We're all just people who sometimes do good things and sometimes do bad things. Once again, in that Rousseau romanticism uh, flavor, Uh, and that's got some truth to it. All good people do some things that are bad. All bad people do some things that are good. But as we're going to see, people really are good or bad, thus saith the Lord. So we have three big ideas to look at today. The first one is uh, these two baseline assumptions that have to do with what we call depravity and imputation. Those are big Bible terms, but they're very important to this discussion. So we have to look at that. Then we're going to talk about Scripture's habit of referring to people as good and bad. And then last of all, we're going to talk about what happens if we lose our ability to recognize good and bad. How will that affect us in the world? So two baseline assumptions. The first one, depravity. Depravity basically means There is no one good. And this, of course, is directly stated in Scripture. It says in Romans 3.10, There is no one righteous. No, not one. Not even one. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. Nobody is righteous. Nobody is good. That's what the Scripture says. Matthew 19.17 says, There is no one good but one. That is God. That's Jesus speaking. There is no one good. You know, good master, what shall I do to inherit everlasting life? And Jesus said, well, there is no one good but God, which is true. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all as an unclean thing in all of our righteousnesses. In our best moments, those things are filthy rags. So that's depravity. And the Bible is pretty clear on how bad we are in and of ourselves. So the doctrine of depravity doesn't say that every person is as bad as he can possibly be every moment of his life. That's not what depravity means. What it does mean, however, is that if left to himself, left to himself, without God's good influence, no person 
could ever be safely regarded as good, left to himself. The important thing to notice here is that God never left humanity to itself. And that's the other half of the story. If you say that we are all only miserable sinners and nothing more, that's bad. That's a half-truth. Left to ourselves, we are only miserable sinners and nothing more, but we have not been left to ourselves. It's like saying the wages of sin is death, so you all have to go to hell. That's true. That's a half-truth. The rest of the truth is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you can't just say the first part and skip the second part. Otherwise, you're teaching half-truths. So John 1, 9 says that God has not left humanity to itself. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the true light which lights every man who comes into the world. Every man. John 12, 32 has Jesus saying, if I am lifted up, I'll draw all people to me. I'll draw all people to me. So nobody is left without the magnetic influence of God. In Romans 2, 14, we have the Gentiles. And in Romans 2, the Gentiles are like the people far away from God. They don't know anything about anything. The poor Gentiles. And here it is. When the Gentiles, those who are farthest away from God, when the Gentiles who do not have the law of Moses do by nature the same things that we read about in the law of Moses, these, not even having a copy of the law, are a law all by themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. They don't even have a copy of Moses' law, and it still is coming out because it's in their hearts. Show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience is what we're talking about, bearing them witness in their thoughts, meanwhile accusing or excusing one another for the good and bad things that they're doing. So God has not left us by ourselves. It's true, left to ourselves. We are all only miserable sinners. But God did not leave us to ourselves. Furthermore, once you become a born-again person, as the scripture says, you are a new creature in Christ. All things passed away. Born again, a new creature, as we see in Titus 3, you've had the washing of regeneration and the renewing, a new creature, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Once that happens, then you absolutely can be characteristically good. So you can't run around saying there's no such thing as good people. What you have to say is, left to themselves, there would never be any such thing as good people. But people have not been left to themselves. So there are definitely good people. At conversion, we have this goodness that is imputed. And this is another subject. Remember, we had two baseline thoughts that we had to mention one is depravity. One is imputation. Imputation is another way of saying crediting. God credits to your account in the books, the bookkeeping that is kept in heaven. God credits to your account the righteousness of Jesus if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. At the moment of your conversion, the beauty and righteousness of Christ is taken from his account and put into your bank account, your judgment in the books that were opened at the grand judgment. And that contract, that accounting of God, is imputation. It's wonderful. Second Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And here it is. Not crediting their trespasses unto them. 
you've sinned 10,000 times. I am not going to put that in your account, not crediting their trespasses to them. For he, the father, made him the son to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous. Now, are you made righteous? Because the Lord has credited to your account in the books of heaven the righteousness and beauty and perfection of Jesus. Same idea in Romans 4.22. Therefore, faith was imputed, accounted, credited to Abraham for righteousness. Abraham had, Abraham had credited righteousness in his account. In verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was credited to him, but for ours also, to whom it shall be credited if we believe on God the Father who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so you see, it's all about what's been credited to your account. We call that imputation. Same idea in Romans 5.18. By the righteousness of one, Jesus, so righteous. By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men who believe so that we have justification, righteousness. So that beauty, perfection of Christ is credited to our account in the books of heaven. That's what's going on. In 1 Peter 2.24, we're reminded it goes the other way too. Christ bore our sins in his own body. Your sins were credited to Christ's account and then he died on the cross to pay for them. So that's imputation, the crediting. So here's where we are, summary. These were big theological concepts and we had to mention these in this discussion. Depravity. Humans left to themselves could never be regarded as characteristically good. Never. But God has not left humans to themselves, has he? Imputation. When God credits Christ's righteousness, his perfection, to our account in the books of heaven in which the judgment is kept, we are possessors by credit, possessors of the righteousness, the infinite righteousness of Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. And that makes us contractually, in the accounting of heaven, makes us contractually good with the righteousness of Christ in our account. And not just good, perfect. And that's how a person is saved. All right. So, having covered that, we're going to go through some observations here that are really important to keep our heads straight. I must never forget three things. My own depravity. In and of myself, I could never be good. My own depravity. But... God's grace that offsets my depravity so that I can be good. And I must never forget my debt to imputed righteousness. I get to go to heaven because Christ's perfection was credited to my account. And that's the only reason I could ever go to heaven. All right. So having that in mind, here are some conclusions that are important to draw. I am inherently bad and in no position to suppose that any goodness I have is unassisted. I am no great shakes had it not been for the grace of God. I would not have any goodness at all. I am perfectly capable, even today, as a born-again Christian, I am perfectly capable of murder, promiscuity, and robbery. I am as thoroughly beholden to grace as any murderer or prostitute. I am never in a position to look down my nose at any person or to be unloving toward any person ever. If I am pleased with my own goodness, I am a hypocrite. If I make up my own non-biblical measurements for goodness, I am a hypocrite. If I judge another's thoughts or invisible actions, 
I am evil myself. We're not allowed to judge. And there are so few people who confess to me their wrongdoings. And there are so few people that I ever see do their wrongdoings that I'm really not in a position to judge the behavior of very many people at all in this world. Even if I am good today, I may easily become very bad tomorrow. If I only appear to be good, but am inwardly dishonest or unkind, I am actually bad no matter what I appear like. These are true things. And we have to lock into these so that we don't become legalistic, hypocritical, or on the other hand, duped into believing that everybody is the same. So we've covered these baseline acknowledgements that humans are depraved, that the imputation of Christ's righteousness to our account is mission critical or none of us would ever go to heaven. We've covered that. Now let's talk about this. Scripture's habit of referring to people as good and bad. Now this is very important because all the time Christians are going to give you these half-truths. Like, there's no such thing as a good person. And I say that as well. But I hope I also tell you the other half. And if I don't tell you the other half, I'm not doing a very good job preaching to you the whole counsel of God. I want you to have the whole counsel of God. All people are indeed miserable sinners. Again, as the Anglican Archbishop said some years back, when I preach, I sin. When I pray, I sin. My very repentance is in need of repentance and my tears need to be washed in the blood of Christ. So there is no such thing as a good person in and of himself, but the Lord hasn't left us to be in and of ourselves, has he? And so we find in Scripture there's this habit of God and the saints and the Bible referring to people, actually referring to people as good or bad. So if the Bible says that a person is good, where are you correct to say there's no such thing as a good person. So, for example, Noah was righteous. That's what the scripture says. So if you say there is none righteous, nobody is righteous, of course, you're telling the truth, but you're telling the first half of the truth without telling the second half. There is none righteous, no, not one, left to himself, but God didn't leave us to ourselves. So, Noah was righteous. Job was perfect and righteous. So if there's no such thing as a righteous person, why are Noah and Job righteous? How about the word goodness? Uh, David says of Ahimeaz, he's a good man. Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, he was a good man. Barnabas was a good man. The fellow in the parable of Matthew 20 says, I'm good. Abel was righteous. Speaking of Zacharias and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents, they were both righteous. Simeon, he was righteous and devout. John the Baptist was a righteous man and holy. So you say, well, there's no such thing. Nobody is holy. Well, why does the Bible say that somebody is holy? What you should say is, if left to himself, no person would ever be holy. But you're looking at verses of Scripture that specifically say people were holy. So... um, John the Baptist was a righteous man and holy. The holy women trusted in God, according to Peter. A bishop must be holy. Uh, If you're going to have a pastor, elder, bishop, he has to be holy. So if you run around saying, well, nobody is holy, that's not going to work very well, right? Because then you can't have a pastor, elder, or a bishop in your church. No church leadership. 
And a bishop must be a lover of good men. But if you run around saying, well, there's no such thing as good people, then how could any pastor, bishop, or elder ever satisfy this that I'm supposed to pursue relationships with good men? Oh, well, there are no such thing as good men. Like, huh, how's that working out then in our theology? Oppositely, we find the wicked plot against the righteous. So the righteous people are there. The righteous shall give thanks. Notice the perfect man and behold the righteous. The righteous man walks in his integrity. The path of the righteous is as a shining light. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. The mouth of the righteous man speaks wisdom. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. Oh, so the question is, are some people better than others? Well, you have a proverb that says, well, the righteous man is more excellent than his neighbor. Apparently, some people are better than others. They are more righteous than you, Ezekiel 16 says. They're more righteous than you are, so some people must be more righteous than other people, right? That's why the Bible says such things. If we keep saying, well, there's no such thing as a righteous person, then what do any of these texts mean? The Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. The righteous man walks in his integrity. The righteous man hates lying. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. A good man brings forth good. A good man obtains favor of the Lord. Walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The righteous cry and the Lord hears. The prayer of the righteous man accomplishes much. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. He that does righteousness is righteous. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Well done, good and faithful servant. Having looked at those Bible verses, does it occur to you that some people are righteous and good and holy? Is that what your Bible says? Then let us not run around saying there's no such thing as a good person. There's no such thing as a righteous person. There's no such thing as a holy person. We have learned. We have been instructed. And now we understand. And it goes the other way as well. Scripture has a habit of referring to some people as bad. Well, this corrects the Rousseau philosophy that says, well, there's no such thing as a bad person. Well, evidently, there is such a thing as a bad person. For example, Judas firstborn was wicked. That's what Genesis 38, 7 says. And the men of Sodom were wicked. And Haman was wicked. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 13, uh, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And you see in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, you are yet fleshly, that's like wicked. Uh, Proverbs, do not go in the way of evil men and keep away from the evil woman. Apparently, there is such a thing as an evil man and an evil woman, evidently. So why run around saying there's no such thing as a bad person? I will not know a wicked person, says David in the 101st Psalm. Fret not because of evil men, neither be envious of the wicked. Apparently, there are evil and wicked people. God is angry with the wicked every day. He must have somebody to be angry at. Evil people refuse to hear my words. Evil men shall grow worse and worse. The wicked plot against the righteous. The wicked borrows and does not repay. The wicked have robbed me. A wicked man walks with a deceiving mouth. The mouth of the wicked speaks deception. The wicked are cruel. Let the wicked forsake his way. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. A good man brings forth good. An evil man brings forth evil. Apparently there are evil people in your world. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases. The wicked flee when no man pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. There shall be no reward to the evil man. If the wicked will turn from all his sins, he shall not die. Some are unreasonable and wicked. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. You see, so it never do to run around as Rousseau did, saying there's no such thing as a bad person. Because you've just seen all of these Bible verses that says, yes, there is too such a thing as a bad person. 
And you've seen the other Bible verses that say, yes, there is too such a thing as a good person. So it will never do for us to say that these Bible verses are not correct. So we have observed now Scripture's habit of referring to people as good and bad. Now let's talk about the danger of losing our ability to recognize that. What happens if we can no longer recognize that certain people are good and certain people are bad? What will become of us? Well, it's awfully important again in Scripture that we recognize such things. So, for example, the Bible says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But if there's no such thing as a righteous person, because we're all just miserable sinners and nothing more, then there will never be a righteous person and we will never be happy with a leader. Oppositely, if everybody is good, there's no such thing as a bad person. They're all good. Well, if everybody is good, then we must be immensely happy with whatever kind of a bad guy is in office, right? I think this scripture doesn't make any sense unless Christians are able to discern the difference between a person who is righteous and a person who is not. And your happiness somehow depends on that. The scripture says, notice the perfect man and behold the righteous. You see a person who's doing right? Pay attention to that guy. Um, my eyes, David says in his inauguration psalm, my eyes shall be upon the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. I want to be living with, residing with faithful people. They are not all the same. Some are faithful, some are not. Walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Well, if we say on the one hand, there's no such thing as a good man, then how are we supposed to follow that fellow and walk in his paths? If on the other hand, we say everybody is good, there's no significant significant difference, then why wouldn't we follow in the footsteps of every person, regardless of what a rascal he might be? Once again, a bishop must be holy. But if everybody is holy, then I guess everybody can be a pastor. Or if nobody is holy, then I guess we'll never have a pastor. What shall it be? See, you have to be able to distinguish between holy and not holy, righteous and not righteous. Otherwise, none of these passages will work. You are defanging the Bible. If we fall on either side of this argument, there's no such thing as a holy person because we're all miserable sinners, then what are we supposed to do with any of these texts? On the other hand, if everybody is good, then how do any of these texts make sense that way? Uh, they do not. Further, do not go in the path of evil men. Well, what if you don't think there's any such thing as an evil person? They just make bad choices. Or what if you think that every single person you've ever met is only a miserable sinner? Then how are you going to know which path to pursue? Keep away from the evil woman. But what if there's no such thing as an evil woman, as Rousseau says? Just they're making choices, and who knows if their choices are good or poor. You see the problem. I will not know a wicked person. I will not sit with the wicked. Do not fret because of evil men. Neither be envious of the wicked. See, how am I going to do any of these things? What does that mean to be envious of the wicked if nobody is wicked? If everybody is good, then who am I supposed to be careful not to envy? On the other hand, if nobody is good, then what do I do with these verses if they're all just miserable sinners and no one is better than the other? Should you help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Well, who's ungodly? 
because there's no such thing as an ungodly person, right? In Rousseau's frame of reference, there's no such thing as an ungodly person. So I suppose I can help everybody with whatever rascally task they have. 1 Corinthians 5.13, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Well, if we're all miserable sinners, then I guess everybody has to leave the church. We'll discipline everybody. Everybody go home because you're all wicked. Or, contrarywise, if nobody is wicked, then why don't we just make the church like the world? Who would we precisely be disciplining if we're going to put away the wicked but nobody's wicked? Evil companionships, says 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companionships corrupt good manners. But if there's no such thing as an evil person, then I suppose I could be companionable with everybody. I mean, what's the big problem? If I want to be with Cassie Bernal's friends who do satanic rituals and have an interest in death, then I can because... There's no such thing as an evil companion and my manners will never be corrupted by any evil person if no evil persons exist, you see. Evil companionships corrupt good manners. He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. In Scripture, darkness means sin. It does also mean sadness and it means Uh, as indicated here, foolishness. Foolishness, sin, go hand in hand in the book of Proverbs. This one says, if you walk with wise men, you'll be wise. But if you're a companion of fools, you'll be destroyed. But what if there's no such thing as a fool? Interesting, long ago, Harry Ironside pointed out that if you call somebody wicked these days, then he'll smile a little wicked smile because he doesn't mind being called wicked. You know what makes him mad? When you call him a fool, now they get upset. In the book of Proverbs, those are the same people, the wicked man and the fool. This text says, if you walk with wise men, you'll be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. If you run with wolves, you'll learn how to howl. Go from the presence of a foolish man. But if nobody's foolish, I guess there's nobody we have to watch, right? Along these lines. A foolish woman is loud. Whoever is unwise, let him turn in there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. But of course, if there's no such thing as an evil woman or a foolish woman, then there's no warning here to observe. So let's kind of connect some dots. If we will not be able to recognize the difference between a good person and an evil person, as Scripture makes it necessary for us to do, then what will happen to us? Well, the first danger might be that I will excuse my own sin because I have become convinced that there's no appreciable difference between a good person and a bad person. I may have even been taught in church that there's no appreciable, appreciable difference between a good person and a bad person. And I might have even been taught that as Christians, there's no such thing as a bad Christian, a good Christian, and a great Christian. That's going to be a problem. For example, if I have somebody who's been mean to me, I have approximately three choices. One, I can be mean back to him. I can punish him, take revenge. The Bible says, 
that bad. The other possibility is I could ignore this person. I could retreat from him and stay away from him. And that's better than taking revenge, than punishing him. That's good. But that's not the best. The best thing, as Jesus taught us, we should love our enemies. And to love them means we're going to wish them well even after they have harmed us. That's the best thing. You know why you have to know that? Because when someone has been mean to you, you have to decide if you're going to punish them, if you're going to ignore them, or you're going to wish them well. Now, only one of those, the last one, wishing them well, only one of those is going to earn you rewards in heaven. The other two will not. That's why it's important for you to know. Good people act one way. Bad people act the other way. How are you going to act? You need to be able to tell the difference. There's another danger. The danger is that maybe I will give my children, or if not my children, my followers, the people who admire me, the people who look up to me, maybe I will give my children the false impression that good people and bad people are really all just the same and need no differentiation. So if I follow the Rousseau romanticism line of thinking, I will say, well, there's no such thing as a bad person. So honey, in effect, you might just as well follow the predatory pedophile as the nice man who's an honest, hardworking family man. Follow whoever you want to follow because it really doesn't make any difference. There's no such thing as a bad person. Follow whom you will. I think you can see how dangerous that is. So if we at church run around and say, actually, everybody's just a miserable sinner. That's all he is. You've told a half truth. Every person left to himself is just a miserable sinner, but God has not left us to ourselves. So some people are truly good, characteristically good. In most of their life, they're good and righteous and holy. Now my son, my daughter, follow those people. On the other hand, if we follow Rousseau and the Romanticists and say, everybody is good, then we have nothing again to tell our children. The third danger. Maybe I will give lost souls the false impression that their violence, promiscuity, drunkenness, bitter speech, or neglect of God do not count against them because they're actually good people, as good as any Christian. So the idea here is, listen, you're not a Christian. You have your sins. I am a Christian. I have my sins. And we're all just about the same anyway. Oh, that's a really big problem. Because if Christ's righteousness has not been credited to your account, when you stand before what we call the great white throne judgment, it sounds like this. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life for those people who have had Christ's righteousness credited to their account, the book of life. But if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, the books are opened and every man is judged out of the things that are written in the book. And you know what are written in the judgment book? Promiscuity, profanity, unlove, 
cruelty, neglect of God, neglect of Christ. All of that is in the book. They say, but listen, you have your sins, I have mine, we're all just about the same. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not the same because one guy has the righteousness of Jesus credited to his account. The other guy doesn't. And so the books are opened. And in the books, we find this list of sins that each person has committed. And there's no answer for that. Interestingly, we find that people who have had God's wonderful help in the born-again experience can be characteristically good. Nothing at all like the list that's on this slide. The fourth danger and last danger that I want to call to your attention is this. Maybe if I no longer recognize the difference between a good person and a bad person, I will give other Christians the false impression that their lust, their lack of integrity, their unlove, or their neglect of God is meaningless since they are already contractually good. Listen, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to your account in heaven. So basically, you have a free pass to be as naughty as you want to be. Because after all, everybody's just a miserable sinner anyway, right? You, Christian brother, have your sins. I have my sins. And we're all just miserable sinners, and that's how it is. Except we've been taught that that's not true. Some of God's followers have been characteristically good, characteristically righteous and holy. And it's going to matter to you very much someday. As a Christian, when you are standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and it was Christ himself in the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation who says to the churches, to the Christian people, I will judge every one of you according to your works. I will judge every one of you Christians according to your works. That is not judging to see if you can go to hell or heaven. That's settled on the day of your conversion when Christ's righteousness was credited to your account. But now we're talking about rank and reward in heaven. When the Lord has a special field trip for those who are especially close to him in heaven, some people will go and some people will not. When the Lord has a special task in his millennial kingdom, he's appointing deputies to be over ten cities, over five cities, and have a special task. Some people will be given a special task, and some people will not. There is a nearness, a warmth in heaven that is special for those who have been characteristically good, characteristically holy, characteristically righteous in their lifestyle. But we say, oh, we're all miserable sinners. It doesn't matter. Oh, or we have the credit of Christ in our account. It doesn't matter how I live. Oh, you are going to hate yourself a thousand times if you do not become characteristically good and holy and righteous. And you can be. So we want to mark through all of this. None of this is helpful. None of it is correct. Quit telling people that we are all just miserable sinners and nothing more. Miserable sinners, yes, but something more by the grace of God. And quit saying that there's no such thing as a bad person. And quit saying that you have your sin, I have mine, it's all the same. Stop saying all such things. None of that is true or helpful. 
So here's how we bring it to a close. Are some people better than others? Of course, of course. Scripture everywhere addresses itself to good people and bad people. That is everywhere in Scripture, as you have now seen. Beyond contractual goodness, where Christ's righteousness has been placed in your account at the moment of your conversion. Beyond that, there is also characteristic goodness. And characteristic goodness, to be characteristically good, is possible because God's grace has offset depravity. The Holy Spirit has come to live in the believer's heart and make him truly good. Not perfect, not good in every single instance, but good at breakfast time tomorrow, and good at lunchtime tomorrow, and good at dinner time tomorrow, and good at bedtime tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And when you're not good in one block of time over the next little while, because you are characteristically good, you are going to quickly confess that sin and get back to your set point of characteristically good. So, you can be characteristically good and you must choose to companion with characteristically good people. That's what the scripture teaches without the ability to differentiate between good people and bad people, you might come to admire and follow a bad person. And when that happens, like with Cassie Bernal, you're going to find yourself in real trouble someday. And if you never trust Jesus and follow the bad people to the end, you'll find yourself in hell someday. So are there good people? Are there bad people? Yes. And here's how we close. Proverbs 4.14. Do not enter the path of the wicked because there are wicked people. Yes, there are. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not go in the way of evil men. Don't do it. Proverbs 2.20. Do walk in the way of good men because there are good men. Don't be deceived. There are good men. Do walk in the way of good men And do keep the paths of the righteous because there are righteous people. If we, the church, can no longer tell the difference, we're in big trouble. Can we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Father, if there's any person here who has not been walking with good men, who is following the path of evil people, because there are good people and evil people, and if they're picking the wrong companions, if they themselves have been good people, but not usually. Evil, characteristically. I pray that this would be the day that ends, that they would hear your word and that they would recognize there's a price to pay, saved or lost, for the way we conduct ourselves in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.